0: to the Miracle Word Podcast, we believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. I'm going to deal with something that I don't know if I've ever dealt with this. Um, on the broadcast before, but it was in my spirit this morning when I woke up and um, I'm going to take some time to talk about it because um, number one, God wants you to be abundantly blessed. No question about that. In fact, uh, put that in the comments today. God wants me to be abundantly blessed. God wants me to be abundantly blessed. No question about that. However, One thing that you can't ignore. Now, if you're just logging on for the first time or you've never seen this ministry and you, uh, this, this broadcast is not a criticism of prosperity in any way. I believe wholeheartedly in the fact that God wants to abundantly bless his children, take them into overflow, increase more than enough in every area of life. But one thing we cannot ignore when we look at this subject is the fact that the Bible, the new Testament and old Testament specifically gives warnings to those who are wealthy, to those that are uh, being blessed by God, um, and even warnings to those that are not serving God, but have wealth and riches. So it would be a foolish thing to only look at one side of the story, but ignore everything else that the Bible has to say about it. And so that's why, knowing that God wants you to be abundantly blessed, um, I want to show you these, from the word of God, three pitfalls of prosperity that you have to guard against constantly. You have to guard against these three constantly in order to keep that flow of blessing moving. You want to keep that flow of blessing functional. And you're called to be a river of blessing. You're not a lake. And what do I mean by that? A lake is the stopping point, uh, if you will, of that flow, right? Things flow into a lake or they flow into a sea and it kind of stops there. Lakes can become stagnant. You can see lakes with stuff growing on top. You're supposed to be a functional, ever moving blessing. And it's it's like a river, just constantly moving. That's why all that stuff can't build up on the top of the water uh, of a river because it's moving so quickly and so much. And so that's what we're called to be, is a constant river of overflowing blessing. And so we wanna keep the word uh, in our eyes so that we don't fall into those traps. But here's the problem, is that it's, it's so easy, it's so easy uh, for people to fall into these traps that you see it over and over again. I preached on it last week when I was at, uh, uh, Abund- or at World Harvest, preached on how people that get into abundance, if they're not careful, they were pressing into God when they needed a miracle. I mean, they were literally desperate for a breakthrough. They were giving everything they had to the Lord. I mean, praising, shouting, dancing, praying, fasting, you know, giving everything they could because they were desperate for a breakthrough. And then God blesses them, and it seems like they back off of their desperation, their diligence, their faithfulness in the kingdom. It's a big mistake. And so, I wanna show you these three things today, and we'll talk about it. that you've got to be careful because this is one of those areas. The blessing of the Lord puts you in a position that this is one of those areas you have to constantly keep your eyes on and safeguard against the tricks and the plans of the enemy. Now, it's important to say this: the enemy's not can't just come in and steal your blessing. He doesn't have the authority to do that. He can't just come in and steal your blessing, but you have the ability to surrender your blessing uh, or watch this. Now, here's really what we're going to be dealing with today. The enemy can tempt you in certain areas. And what is he tempting? He's tempting your natural mind, tempting your flesh nature, your carnal nature to do certain things that go against the word of God, that when you do them, so notice, notice the enemy's not doing them. He's tempting you to do them. He's tempting you to do them. But when you step over into that, it allows the enemy to stop the flow of blessing in your life. Now, I'm going to deal with three things today that we'll keep our eyes on, have to keep our eyes on. And um, I'll give you all the scriptures to back it up as well. Marsha, are you watching from the hospital? We love you, praying for you. Um, Number one, I want you to put these down. I'll give you them in order. Uh, They're not in order of importance, just in order of how I'm dealing with them today. But number one, the first thing you have to uh, keep your eyes on as a believer, as God's blessing you, is trusting in your riches. That's number one. I want you to put that down. Trusting in your riches. Massive mistake. According to scripture, Old and New Testament. Old and New Testament. Trusting in your riches. Let me give you a few verses uh, where the Bible is dealing with those who trust in their riches. First of all, Let's look at Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11 and um, verse 28, Proverbs 11:28. Listen to this, "Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf." the righteous will flourish. So notice what that comparison is saying. The righteous will not trust in their riches. Well, obviously, who do we trust in? The Lord. We trust in the Lord. Riches can be fleeting. I mean, riches can be uh, stolen, manipulated, all these other things. We don't put our trust in riches. We put our trust in the Lord. And so this is something that people need to keep their eye on. I see this happen a lot because what ends up happening to people, uh, let me, let me say it, let me say it this way. In fact, uh, let me explain it this way <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 19. This is a good explanation, uh, of how this functions. I've seen this for years as a preacher for years, Matthew 19. This is the story, uh, as you know, of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and um, this is a very important thing to, to, note, to take note of. Um, here's a rich man that wanted to become a disciple of Jesus. And uh, he said, what, what do I need to do to have eternal life? He said, why do you ask me about what's good? Jesus said, there's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Watch this. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Why? He had great possessions. He had great possessions. Verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, now this is, here's the one that was mind-blowing to the disciples. You ready? Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel." to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Look at the response from the disciples. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then look at Peter's response. Then Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything to follow you. What what then will we have? And so... I want want to show you something that many people miss about this passage. You know, the disciples were astonished because they had wealth. Peter was a businessman. Peter had money. Peter had money. He had a home. He had uh, not just a boat, but boats, commentaries tell us, on the shore of Galilee. He was a fisherman. He had people working for for him according to the scripture. He had servants that were washing his nets. And so it's not like Peter was a pauper. And you'd think that if this was like some great contrast, right, that when Jesus said, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, that the disciples, if they were all poor, would be like, yeah, that's right. We're the ones that have the kingdom of heaven. You know, it would have played into their flesh nature. But instead of being like, yeah, that's right. No, they were astonished. And said, so, well, then if that's the case, who can be saved? Why were they saying that we're, we're your disciples and that notice because Peter that's his response we left everything to follow you What will we get see what I mean? So the disciples the reason they have an issue hearing this is because they're like we well, we're blessed Are you saying we're not gonna be able to enter the kingdom of heaven? And 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 Jesus said no, that's not the case notice what Jesus is doing. He's testing this man Right he's testing this man because Here's the question How many other people in the Bible that wanted to follow Jesus did Jesus tell them, you gotta sell everything you have and give the money to the poor? No one. There was nobody else that that was their instruction except for this one man. What do you think it was? Jesus could tell, and the Bible even tells us, that this man has an issue with his possessions having control of him. This man has an issue with his possessions having control of him right so is it possible that this man trusted in his riches very possible it's very possible that this man trusted in his riches and so jesus is giving a warning and i wanted you to see this as well here's a verse that i keep in front of your eyes relatively often and this is obviously written to judah in the book of isaiah chapter 17 But the principle remains the same. Just because this was written to Old Testament Judah doesn't mean that God's okay with this now. He still is irritated by this. Notice this. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. You see that? And makes flesh his strength. Hmm whose heart turns away from the Lord, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So two things that happen here. Number one, uh, it brings a curse on people's lives when they trust in anything but the Lord. I've put my faith in the flesh nature. I've put my fl- fl- uh, f- faith in the economy and the culture and my corporation, my job, my fa- If you put your faith in the flesh, the Bible says it brings a curse it brings a curse, but on uh, not just that. The Bible says, and in doing so, he turns his heart away from God, turns his heart away from God. Wow. And so understand that, that when you trust in men, when you trust in riches, anything else other than God, the Bible says you turn your heart away from God. It brings a curse upon your life. We trust only in God. That is it. Don't trust in money, the economy, the culture, stock market, governments, corporations, none of that. My trust is in God alone. God alone. And that's the danger, is that the enemy causes people to try to put their trust in the natural and put their tr- trust in riches. Did you catch this? Why do you think Jesus said in Matthew 19, it is hard, very difficult. He said for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why did he say that? Interestingly, he's not talking about Christians, is he? There are no Christians yet. He hasn't died yet. He hasn't uh, been buried or resurrected yet. He's still on the earth in his natural ministry. But I want you to see something here. Why did he say that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And I've noticed this even in years of ministry preaching, is that when you are talking to someone, in fact, there's an old quote. I think this was a, a, Charles, a Spurgeon quote. Charles Spurgeon, Tiff, you can look it up and see if this was a Spurgeon quote. I know it's a quote by a preacher, but I think it's Spurgeon. He said, before you can get people saved, when you're, I mean, he's talking about when you're preaching to them. He said, before you can get them saved, you've got to get them lost. Before you can get them saved, you've got to get them lost. What does that mean? Because naturally, people don't think that there's anything wrong with their life. Do you know who it is? Yeah. D.L. Moody. It was a D.L. Moody quote. And D.L. Moody said, before you can get them saved, you got to get them lost. What does that mean? It means people don't naturally think there's anything wrong with their life. People don't naturally think that anything... Uh, in their life needs to be changed. You know, generally, people think, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm nice, I help people out. You know, people look at themselves and they don't look at themselves thinking, man, I am in rough shape. I am headed for eternal destruction. I mean, most people don't, I'm talking about sinners, they don't think that about themselves. Now, there are some who recognize it because they're in such problem and calamity that they recognize, man, my life is, needs to change. But notice, why do you think it's easier? You know, I can just tell you from experience, I look, I look at over the years how we've seen ministry go. You know, I, I watch these older ministers that have gone into, I'm talking about evangelists, evangelism, gone into ministering in the inner cities of America and around the world. Uh, men like A.A. Allen, men like T.L. Osborne who went around the world to nations that were in great need, uh, you know, great poverty. Why do you think people are so ready and willing to accept uh, the help of God? They recognize, I need help. I need help. Right? And and that's the case. When people recognize they need help, then it's easier to show them, yes, there's a reason you need help. There's a reason you need help, but what, what about rich people? What about rich people? They don't look at themselves and think, man, I'm in rough shape. I'm in, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm bound by sin. I'm on my way to hell. I'm headed for eternal destruction and separation from God for eternity. People don't think about themselves like that. They don't think about their lives like that. In fact, they just kind of coast through life and especially if they're not in need and desperate for a change, right? All the bills are paid. I've got more than enough money in the bank. I can go on vacation whenever I want. I've got multiple cars in the driveway. Kids are all going to top tier schools. You know, everything's good. My business is flourishing. And then you come and tell them, you have, a, you have need, you have need for a savior. I'll get by, I'll do fine. You know, I, I'm a good person. I help, I'm a philanthropist. I give money to charities and stuff, you know, and, uh, and, and that's how people think. Don't, I'm telling you, people don't look at themselves and think, man, I am in rough shape. I'm on my way to hell. I am dead in trespasses and sins. I am in danger. I'm in danger of being separated from God for eternity. People don't think about themselves like that. They just think, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I take care of people. I'm not like robbing banks. I'm not trafficking people. And, you know, they, they look at the extreme wickedness in the world, and like, I'm a pretty good guy, you know, and I, you know. I may even attend church every once in a while, drop something in the bucket. And I'm telling you, that's why D.L. Moody was saying, before you can get them saved, You've gotta get them lost. What was he saying? You have to show people their need for a savior. It's not about how much money you have in the bank. It's not about how much good you've done through uh, philanthropic endeavors. It's It's not through any of that. You can be the nicest person in the world and end in hell because it's not about being nice or not nice. It's not about giving to a charity or not giving to a charity. Have you repented of sin? Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? But until people feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost and know I am on my way to hell, then they're not going to see and understand through the word, through the Holy Spirit, I have need for a Savior. Well, why? They're trusting in their riches. Everything's comfortable, everything's easy, everything's good. It's a mistake. It is a pitfall to trust in your riches. It brings a curse upon your life. It turns your heart away from God. And I'm telling you, that's why Jesus said what he did. It's hard for a rich man to enter. That doesn't mean God doesn't want his people to be blessed. Of course he does. But notice, and I'm going to read this to you because Paul wrote in the New Testament, after Christ's resurrection, after redemption was provided, he writes to Timothy, his son in the gospel, regarding these types of people and um, what we would see in the end times. But uh, in 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 6, is where I'm at right now, uh, I want to show you something here. Verse 17. The Bible says, um, and this is a command from Paul. You ready? And as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty Of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy oh look at that look at that so it doesn't say don't put your trust in riches God wants you to be in poverty don't put your trust in riches God doesn't want you to have more than enough he wants you to struggle no put your trust in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy they are to do good who the rich the rich They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to what? Share. So how do you then, here's a question, because obviously Paul's instructing Timothy about how to minister to those that are in the church. Timothy's a pastor and Paul's giving instruction about how do you minister to those in the church? How, How do you charge the rich? Let me tell you how to charge the rich. Charge them not to uh, put their hopes or their faith in the uncertainty of riches, but upon God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. So rich people, and all of us are, whether you have excess or not, we're all called to be generous people, right? We're all called to tithe. We're all called to give. We're all called to bless the poor without question. But those that are walking already in that place of excess, one of the ways that it keeps your, pl- your heart in, a, in, a right, in right standing with God is constant tests to see, do you, do you have the ability to stay a river of blessing? Do you have the ability to stay as a river of blessing? Are you able to be continually generous Are you ready to be rich in good works or are you storing it all up for yourself? Notice what he says in verse 19. Thus, by by doing what? By being generous, by being ready to share, by being rich in good works. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life. There's nothing like blessing others. There is nothing like being a blessing to others. It's wonderful. That's why Jesus, if you read the book of Acts chapter 20, the apostles recount Jesus' words in Acts 20, 35, and you know what they say? They say, remember what Jesus said? It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I actually want to read you uh, that passage from the Amplified. And I normally don't jump around like this to translations, but I, I really want, to, I want you to see this. The Amplified says it in a really uh, interesting way. It um, says it like this. Acts 20, 35, Amplified, classic. In everything I have pointed out to you by example... That by working diligently in this matter, we ought to assist the weak being mindful of the words of the Lord Jesus. What were his words? How he himself said, it is more blessed, makes one happier and more to be envied to give than to receive. Hallelujah. Makes one happier and more to be envied to do what? To give more to give than to receive. That's wonderful to receive. I know you know that. It's a blessing to receive. But Jesus said it's more of a blessing, makes you happier, and more to be envied when you give versus when you receive. I thought of it this way. In fact, the Holy Spirit hit me like this with it one time. He said, think about this. Anyone can receive something, but not everybody has the ability to give. That shows you why it's a higher level. Anybody can receive something but not everybody has the ability to give. Hallelujah. Put that in the comments. Anyone can receive something, but not everyone has the ability to give. Amen. Everybody can receive something, but not everybody has the ability to give. That shows you it's a higher level when you're a giver. Amen. And that's why it's more blessed. Uh, more to be envied. It's a higher level without question. It's a higher level. And that what, what Paul is instructing Timothy here, this is a safeguard for your heart. I want you to see this. It's a safeguard. Or will you get to the place where you're so blessed that you do no, you no longer trust in God. I mean, why? Here's the question. Why would God ever bless you to the place where he knows your, your heart's going to depart from him when you hit this level of blessing? why why would god want to take you out of the kingdom it doesn't work like that so number one it's important to remember um, trusting in riches is a danger it is a massive danger massive danger it's a trick of the devil and that's why if you're not in the kingdom of god That's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They're trusting in riches. But if you're in the kingdom of God and God has blessed you, this is something you have to keep your eye on. This is something that you have to constantly watch to make sure I'm not going to fall into this trap. I'm never going to get to the place. I don't care how blessed I get. I don't care how much the Lord takes me into overflow, excess. I will never come to the place where I don't feel like I need God. Well, let's ask ourselves a question just to be practical with this, because I want you to be able to immediately apply this to your life. Here's the question. What would it look like in your life if you started to put your trust in riches rather than in God? What would it look like practically if you stopped putting your trust in God and began to put it in riches? Let me tell you what it would look like. It would start to take the form of no longer doing the things that you need to do to petition God for his blessing, his favor, you'd stop doing those things, right? So think about it: what it looks like when somebody's like desperate for a miracle. Right? What does it look like when somebody's desperate for a miracle? They're praying all the time. They're praising God. They're at church. They're asking people to pray for them. They're, maybe they're giving, whatever it might be. They're doing all those things. They're in the word, you know. They're, oh God, I mean, they're going after God. Why? Because they know they need a blessing. They know they need a breakthrough. They know they need a miracle. So what are they doing? They're di- diligently pursuing all of these uh, different uh, access points to the power and favor of God. And they're doing it all the time. You can tell they're pressing in. You can tell they need a miracle. You can tell that I gotta have a breakthrough. I'm believing for a breakthrough. They're going after it. So what happens? God blesses some people, and then what they do is they let themselves fall into the trap of trusting in their riches. Oh, I'm comfortable now. I don't need a miracle. It's sad, really, isn't it, that people have to feel like they got to get to the place where they need a miracle before they start pressing in, right? It's so sad that people feel like, I got to wait. It's like how people in in our generation are. They don't take care of their body until there's a problem with their body. Did you ever notice that? people wait until like the doctor's like man you've got like uh pre-diabetes you know it's like you're you're in a rough place you need to start watching your diet and then, then people get all crazy like, oh man i gotta start watching this I'll... isn't that crazy people are like man oh then, then they give you a word and they're like oh man i i gotta start taking care of this body instead of just doing the things you should do before anything is is a problem and that's how our generation is they don't wait they don't do it ahead of time they wait until there's a problem then they press in that's how the kingdom is don't wait until it becomes a problem press in now and God's watching you I preach this all the time God is watching you and checking you out not to just see how you'll respond when you need a miracle but how do you respond to him how do you press into him when everything's going great are you still Pressing into His Word and reading it? Are you still praying? Are you still praising? Are you still worshiping? Are you still giving? Are you still faithful? Even when you're not in the brink of destruction. If I don't get this miracle by the end of this month, I don't know, our family's in ruin. The Lord's watching you to see where's your trust? Have you gotten so blessed that you can now say, you know, Well, I don't need to press in like I was pressing in, you know, I got everything I need now. No, 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 that's a a mistake because now your faith is in the blessing versus the blesser, which is God. And so massive thing, keep this in front of your eyes. That's why uh, I tell people this, that as you go forward, doesn't matter, and this leads into number two, uh, as you go forward, the Lord continually will test your heart to see if you've gotten to the place where your trust is in riches, your trust is in the natural realm versus in him. That's right, AJ said they get in, get on spiritual cruise control. It's exactly what happens. Don't allow yourself to ever get to that place. Get to that, get to that uh, standpoint where you say, Lord, I don't care what it looks like in the natural realm. I don't care what I have or don't have. I'm going to press into you on a daily basis. You are my source. You are the one that I love. I'm giving you all my diligence. I'm giving you all my faithfulness. Watch what God will do. Watch what God will do in your life. Number two, here's a second pitfall. Um, Number one, either trusting in riches, it can lead to this, but it can be its own thing as well. And that is number two, the love of money. The love of money. You've got to be so careful. God doesn't just want you blessed. He wants to keep you blessed. He doesn't want to just see you blessed for a short period of time. He wants you to live in his blessing but this is a pitfall that keeps people falling out of the blessing of God and not just missing out on the blessing of God, but literally doing damage to their eternal soul. According to scripture, it is what the love of money, the love of money, a dangerous place to be dangerous place to be. That's why I I dealt with the first one first, trusting in riches, because once you start putting your faith in your money, then you put yourself uh, on a pedestal, if you will. It's like, well, I got, I got everything I need, you know, and then you start looking at those things and the things that you have start to become not only your source, then you start really loving those things. Well, I can't get rid of that. You know, that's my favorite thing and I like that. I wouldn't, I, you know, I'm not going to sow that. And then what happens? You can't give the thing. If God spoke to you to give that thing away, could you give it? Could you give it? Look at the things that you have in your home. Look at the things that you own and ask yourself this question. If the Lord spoke to me today to give this away to somebody or to give it to the church or to give it in an offering, could I release it? That's a heart test right there. Could I release it? I gave a a precious seed earlier in this year and it was something that somebody had given me that was beautiful and I liked it a lot. The Lord spoke to me very clearly. Give that to this person. I did not hesitate for a second. My wife just recently gave uh, a gift. It was was really for her a seed that was precious. Precious. Sown in tears. Not, Not tears of I can't believe this is going, but tears of joy knowing this is something precious to me, which means it's going to provoke God's hand. And the Lord will test your heart. Is there anything? I mean, look through your possessions. Look through your things that you actually own. Obviously, there's things that if you don't own them, you couldn't give them away anyway. It's like my car. Well, you don't own your car fully and outright. You may not own your home fully and outright. So you can't give something you don't own. But what about something you do? What if the Lord, ladies, what if the Lord spoke to you to give your engagement ring away or your, your, your set, your engagement ring and wedding ring? What if the Lord said, I want you to sew that to somebody? Could you do it? Or he's like, no, I love this too much. It's a thing. It's a thing. Is there anything in your house that the, if the Lord put his finger on it today and said, I want you to sow that, he say, I can't sow that. That's, sh- that's the, that's a sign to you that there are things that hold you. And I heard Dr. Rodney Howard Brown say something one time, I'll never forget this. And, and this would be something great to write down in the comments. He said, when everything means nothing to you, then God can give you everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Put that in the comments. When everything means nothing to you, then God can give you anything. When everything means nothing, God can give you anything. You say, what do you mean by that? It means that God knows that there's nothing he can put in your hand that would mean so much to you that you couldn't release it if he spoke to you to release it. Not anything. Not anything. And that's where I want to be for my entire life. When everything means nothing to you, then God can give you everything. Because he knows that nothing he ever gives you will hold you in bondage. He knows it. Nothing he ever gives you will hold you in bondage. Not not one thing, I don't care what it is. I don't care if he gives you a vehicle, gives you jewelry, gives you whatever it might be. Nothing means so much that you can't release it at God's word. This is a test of your heart so that you don't fall into what are are we talking about? Number two, the love of money, the love of things. It's dangerous. Um, I wanted to read you something that happens here to people that allow this to be the story of their life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and um, listen to this. Paul's giving his final greetings in his final letter that he ever writes. And I'll start in verse 14. And the Bible says, uh, Alexander, the coppersmith, he's calling out names now. In fact, let me start before. Let me start in verse 9. I'll I'll read the whole section. You ready for this? 2 Timothy 4 verse nine, do your best to come to me soon for Demas. Verse 10, I want you to mark this in your Bible. Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Notice what he said about Demas there. Sometimes we just scroll over that Because it's the closing part of his letter and we think it's like the credits in a movie. You know, he's giving his final greetings and final instructions. We kind of sometimes scan over it. Giving all, hey, give this message to this guy. Give this message. Notice this though. Stop and take notice of it. Verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Notice, he deserted Paul. Paul speaks of it as though It's apostasy. Paul is speaking of this as though, the danger of this, as though this man is not just leaving Paul, leaving the faith. Danger. He's in love with this present world. Danger. Demas is in love with this present world. So he deserted me. Should have stayed here serving. Should have stayed here faithful. He deserted me. Very interesting. Very interesting. In fact, that's what I wanted you to see. If you fall in love with this present world, there's a danger of desertion. Man. If you fall in love with this present world, there's a danger of desertion. What are you deserting? Faith. Faith in God. Faith in Christ. Obedience. Right? That's why Jesus said this, those that have left father and mother, sisters, brothers, houses and lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. Why? Because Jesus knows what it takes to leave all of those things behind. He knows. Listen, I'm not saying this for me. I want to show you something. I want to show you something practically, you know. And we're getting ready to launch Miracle Word Church, but I've been an evangelist now for years. And uh, I grew up in an evangelist home, traveling full-time with my father and my mother. And um, very interesting to me, it's like, are you willing to do that? People say, man, they get to travel all over the place and so glamorous. All you need to do is travel 200 days out of any year. Because let me tell you, the ones that really get it are the ones that like, man, I don't know how you guys do it. You just keep going and going, living out of a suitcase. Let me tell you, it might seem glamorous to people until you travel 200 days out of any year. And then you're like, yeah, I enjoy being at my house. (laughs) And I'll tell you something, it is a sacrifice of uh, yourself to God. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Because, I mean, I have a beautiful home here. I love, I love the home God blessed us with, uh, not so much that I wouldn't give it away, but I enjoy it. I really like what God's blessed us with. He gives you the desires of your heart, right? And so God's blessed us very much, put us in a beautiful place, gave us a beautiful home. I mean, I've given you that testimony many times over, but now, you know, it's actually for me to say, you know what? We're going to leave that home for 200 days out of the 365 day year. You know, I'm actually out of that home more than I'm in the home. And, and so you say, well, um, you know, that's no, <clears throat> it's, it's a sacrifice and I'm happy to do it. It's I'm excited to do it. There's a grace to do it, but notice there's a reason that Jesus said, there's a blessing attached to it. The reason there's a blessing attached to it is because you're giving up those things for his namesake. You're giving up those things to go and do what he called you to do, because If you're not willing to do that, right, then you love the thing more than you love your call. You love the the thing more than you love your purpose. You love your thing more than you love the Lord is what it boils down to. So that's the point I'm making. If you love this present world, right, there's people, and let me give you another example of this. In fact, before we do, let me read to you um, 1 Timothy chapter six. And I'll read you verses, um, let's go with verses 9 and 10. This is, sometimes you read this, this is hard for people to understand if they've never been taught properly. So they read uh, passages of scripture like 1 Timothy 6, and you could read all the way up from verse, uh, you know, end of verse 2, uh, all the way to the end of this verse 10. People have a hard time really understanding what it means. And there's people that will misinterpret this and see. see, God doesn't want you to be wealthy. God doesn't want his people to have wealth. It's not, it's not what this passage is teaching. And so I want you to, I want you to look. In fact, I'll go, I'll go before. Well, no, I'll I'll come back to it because I want to, I want to get you into number three in a second, but look at verses nine and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. You know, you could probably put Demas that we just read about under this category, right? It is through this craving, what craving, craving for things and money uh, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so notice, let me me read those two things again. Those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. Have you ever seen what that looks like? Somebody so badly wants to get money. They so badly want to get money that they'll even start doing crooked things to get money. They're so in love with money that they'll start doing things that are wrong. Notice what the Bible says here. They fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. They'll start getting into things that are wrong, but they don't care, I just want that money. I don't care, I'll walk in the gray areas, I don't care, I'll cheat on taxes, I'll keep money back, I'll misappropriate funds, I'll embezzle, I just want money. I'll get into you know schemes and uh, different, I mean look at at people like uh, um, Bernie Madoff and people like that, of course they're wicked people. But what do they have? A love for money. They, want, they were already wealthy. They want more money. I want more. So I'm going to cheat people out of their money. I need more money. They're in love with money. They're in love with money. But notice this. If you read this whole passage in context, what is, what is uh, Paul trying to teach Timothy? Contentment. Contentment, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But, but look at this. Um, this love of money is so dangerous because the Bible says it's the root of all kinds of evils. I had a guy that I knew one time, and he was actually supposed to be studying for the ministry. He was actually supposed to be a minister. Left his home to go and study for the ministry, to actually become a minister himself. And um, got down there, and he came from a family that really didn't have much of anything. I understand that. Came from a family that they, they were living um, really a, what you would call like Section 8 housing and uh, God blessed him a little bit, got a good job, but then he went to study for the ministry. Well, he got a a good job where we were at and really started making some money and they needed people to work more and more. He's like, man, I'm getting these good paychecks. Nobody had ever really taught him to be responsible with money. I mean, he was buying everything under the sun. I mean, couldn't keep, keep the money in his pocket. As the Bible says, a fool and his money are soon parted. And that's what happens to people that don't know uh, how to handle these things. But he got to the place, and I want you to see what this looks like. Say, what does it look like when you're truly engaged in a love of money? You're in a place, you're in a place to study for the ministry and to receive training, instruction, and impartation to become a minister. He got to the place where he started to love money so much I mean, you can't tell me it's not that, because what else would it be? It's not like the job was like an enjoyable job. (laughs) And I don't want to say too much because I don't want to reveal anything, but it's not like the job he was doing was like some enjoyable job that was like, oh man, it's just such a wonderful place to be. But they were paying him. And you know what he started doing? He started taking shifts through the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, skipping church to go work this job and make more money. Oh yeah, but I get, I get overtime when I work on Sundays. Oh really? So even though you're here to study for the ministry and honor the Lord, and, and, and to receive what you're supposed to receive in order to be a minister, you're gonna now skip the house of God on Sundays to go work. This, this is where it really blew my mind. You know what he started doing after that? He started missing school, missing Bible school. He's there. He moved a thousand miles away from home to go to Bible school. He's now skipping Bible school, skipping days in class to go work more days at that job. It's like, bro, you, you could have gone and done that because it's not like he found some amazing job that was only available there. What he was doing, you could do in any state, in any town of, any, of anywhere in this country, <laughs> you know, anywhere. And I do mean anywhere. I don't care if New York to the, the Mississippi, it doesn't matter. So it's not like he was able, man, I found this amazing job. God opened the doors and now I have this. It's like, it's, it's a job anybody could get anywhere, but they're paying you because they need workers. So now you're not just going to skip church, but now you're going to skip the classes that you moved a thousand miles away from home to attend, to prepare yourself to, for ministry. And it's like, seriously, dude, seriously, what is that? other than a love of money. What can that be other than a love of money? Man, I love that. I love that paycheck. I love seeing those numbers on those paycheck, that overtime pay. Love that. And then, I mean, spending everything, buying everything under the sun. It's like, dude, you have no idea what's going on with you, dude. And he's not in the ministry today. He's not not preaching the gospel today. Not in full-time ministry. So the thing... Exactly, Dylan. He's not a ministry now. And the thing that he was called to do, and let me tell you, he was called to ministry. He was called to ministry. He had an anointing on his life to do this. But notice what happened. As the Bible says, uh, not only have they um, have a craving, they've wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. Not in ministry now. And he was anointed to be in the ministry. Anointed guy. Great at one-on-one evangelism, great at winning people to Jesus, but missed it because of what? A love of money. Because of a love of money. Very, very sad thing. So, okay, well, how do you do that? Uh, Here's the third pitfall that'll help you. So number one, trusting in riches. Number two, a love of money. But look at this now. Number three, it's the same passage we're in now. Same passage we're in now. And this is the, and now I want to say this for last because I want to explain this to you because this is hard for people to get. I don't know why it's hard for people to get. They, they can't seem to reconcile these two things together. But the third pitfall is a lack of contentment, a lack of contentment. Put that in the comments and don't, don't let this one slip past you. Lack of contentment. This is what Paul's truly dealing with in this context, in this passage that we're going through right now, 1 Timothy 6. He is dealing with a lack of contentment. Now, here's what people have a hard time reconciling. Well, let's read the whole passage in context, and then let's talk about why people have a hard time reconciling these things. Um, I'm going to start with the end of verse 2. It says, teach and urge these things. Teach and urge these things. Verse three, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now let me stop there and read that again. Verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain, is great gain. Verse seven, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Verse eight, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Then I get to verse nine and 10. Now do you see it in context? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So here's a question for you, because here's where people break off. They read this passage and they're like, see, God just wants you to be content with a bed, uh, some clothes, some food and a roof over your head. And, and, and that's fine. Well, that, listen, I, I don't disagree with you. You know, God does want us to be content with what we have, but here's a question because w- w- if you're not in contentment, you can slip over into greed and covetousness, right? Greed and covetousness. I want what she has. How come he has that? And I don't have it. I want, what, I want that. I want what he's got. And then what, is, what happens? You get into the love of money, you'll start doing crooked things to get wealth. All right, so here's the question though. Is it possible, and I want you to write this question in the comments because this is the part that people miss. They, they deviate from the path here and they miss it. So here's the question. Is it possible to become wealthy without a... Desire to be rich That's a question for you Is it possible to become rich without a desire to be rich? The answer to that by the way is yes, it is possible to become rich without a desire to be rich It is it is possible and this is what people miss There's a difference between having a love of money and having this great desire to be rich, okay, and having a love for God and him blessing you to the place where you have more than enough. My, my desire is not for riches. My desire is for God. I'm going to say that again. Here's, I don't know why so many people deviate when it comes to this. They miss it in this context. I am content. I am content right now. I was content before God gave me this house. I was content before God God gave me that car. I was content before any of these things came into my hands. But you know what? I love God. I keep seeking God. I keep doing what his word says, and he keeps blessing me. He keeps on blessing me. And I have a desire to receive the blessings that he provided for me. I wouldn't reject his blessings. Why would I do that? I would say, Lord, I don't want the things that you've purchased for me through the blood of Jesus Christ. According to Ephesians 1-3, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God will provide all of our needs through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Why? Because we do what the Bible says. So so watch this now. Uh, Let me give you 1 Timothy. We're still in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy, two chapters back. Chapter 4 Look at verse eight. How do you get around this? For while bodily training is of some value, godliness, 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 godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Godliness is of value in every way. In how many ways? Every way. As Denise quoted in the comments, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and his righteousness, and all these things. What things? All the things in context that were being spoken of in Matthew 6 are natural things. What will we wear? What will we eat? Where will we sleep? Natural things. They'll just be added unto you. They'll be added unto you. <clears throat> so do I have, so question, Is this my desire to be rich or is this my desire to please God? Matthew chapter six, I'm seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's my desire to please God because I love him. I love him. If I love him, I'll obey his word. That's John 14, 21. If I love him, I'll obey his word. Well, what's going to happen when I obey his word? He's going to bless me for obeying his word. He's going to bless me. One of the things that the Bible commands us to do is to give the apostles called financial giving seed a penny. It's first Timothy four, eight godliness is profitable unto all things, all things. And the question, is it possible to become wealthy without a desire to be wealthy? Yes. Yes, it is. You don't have to have a love for riches to become wealthy. You don't have to be out there every day. I want want riches. I want riches. You know what you can say? I want God. I want God. I want everything God has. I want to please God with my life. I want God's hand of blessing upon me. I want to do what his word says. I'm going to obey him. And when you obey him, the blessing comes. One of the things we're commanded to do as believers is to give. It was the apostles inspired by the Holy Spirit who called your financial giving seed sowing and Galatians chapter six in that same context, Paul is clear. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows that that very thing is what he's going to reap. So if I sow love, I got love coming back. If I sow friendship, I got friendship coming back. If I sow peace, I got peace coming back. Amen. But if I sow finances, I got finances coming back. Exactly right, Nick. You don't have to worship your body in order to get healthy. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so you start to see it doesn't it doesn't have to work that way. If I honor God above all else, he's the one who comes in. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow unto it. So same thing here. I don't have to go out and say I need I want riches. I want riches. I can say I want God. I want God's word. I want to obey him. I want to follow his path. But you know what's gonna happen? When I follow his path, when I obey him, when I do what his word says, I'm gonna be blessed. I can't stop that from happening. It's a covenant. I do my part, God does his part. So the question is, uh, will you be content with anything God gives you? Of course you will. That's what a godly person does. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Of course I'm happy with everything God's blessed me with. Let me tell you. I'd be happy for the rest of my life. I don't need God to give me a bigger house for me to be happy. I don't. I like the one he gave me now. I like the one he gave me before this. I like the one he gave me before that one. I don't have to have a bigger house for me to be happy. I'm content right now. I don't need another thing. I'm just telling you, I don't need another thing other than the souls of men that are coming into the kingdom this year and next year and for the rest of my life till Jesus comes. I don't need another thing, but you know what I need? I need the resources to accomplish my purpose. Now, there's a difference between talking about your personal, what you need personally, and what you need for your purpose, right? I am believing. I am believing for great resources to come in. It's gonna take millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to do what we're about to do with Miracle Word Church, many millions. I'm sure by the time we're done, it'll take hundreds of millions. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. And of course, we believe God's gonna provide that. That's, that's part of our purpose. No one's gonna sit back and say, you know, I'm just happy doing nothing for the Lord. No, we're gonna do everything the Lord's asked us to do. Then that will take the resources of God. But we're dealing with personally. Well, here's a question for you. If all you have is just enough for you to get by, how could you even obey the rest of God's word? Think about this, how could you tithe? How could you give above and beyond your tithe? How could you bless the poor? So this guy uh, earlier on, on YouTube harping on, uh, you know, no, no rich person should have a homeless person living within five miles of their home. Uh, you know, if, you're, if you have money, you know, give a, a donut to a homeless person. Um, you know, here's the thing, if you're one of those people that rejects the message of abundance and increase, how can you do anything in this world That's a blessing to your generation if you only ever have your needs met. What a stupid uh, thesis to live your life by. It's a stupid thesis. We just need our needs met. I don't need any more than that. I just need my needs met. No, you need far more than your needs met. What a low level of living. What a low, stupid way to think. When God's provided all things, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver and the gold are his. And he's called his people, his children, to be a blessing. So why would he sit around and say, well, I just want you to be content with just enough for you. No, that's not God's desire. And reading this passage out of context doesn't make it God's desire. Well, God just wants you to be content, having nothing. No, okay, if that's that's the case, is God displeased them when you have more than enough? Is God displeased? No, because if he was displeased when his children or his followers in the Old Testament had more than enough, why did he make it his business to give them more than enough? Why did he make it his business to financially give the nation of Israel more than enough and promise them in a covenant? If you'll obey everything I tell you to do, then I'll set you on high above the nations of the earth. And I'll, you'll lend to many nations, and you'll never have to borrow. You'll be the head, not the tail. I'll bless your basket and your store. I'll give rain in its due season. Your crops will produce. Your livestock will produce. If God's against his people having more than enough, or thinks that it's excess, and you're not content with what you currently have, why did he make it his business to bless his people in that way, through because of their obedience? It's because it's his desire. It's his will. That's why he did it. And this is a false humility that people try to preach and teach. Well, you know, God, he just wants you to be happy with just, you know, it's, it's like, yes, you don't want to have a love of money. You don't want to have a, an unhealthy desire for riches. Of course not. Of course not. You don't want to put your trust in your riches. But at the same time, if you're obeying his word, if you're pleasing him with your life, you better believe there's some overflow coming to you. That is not some kind of heretical fringe teaching that's taught through the entire New Testament and the Old Testament. I can point you to verse after verse after verse after verse, passage after passage that shows that if you're doing what the Lord asked you to do, if you're following his voice, if you're walking in righteousness and obedience, then God's gonna bless you. God is going to bless you. Old Testament verse, Psalm eighty-four, eleven. The Lord our God is a sun and a shield, and he bestows favor and honor, and he will not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. Not any good thing. He'll not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. I want you to get this in your spirit today. People miss these three, and the enemy will take them out. I've watched people walk away from God's kingdom. I've watched people walk away from church, walk away from the faith. Because what? They got a little money and they started to have a love for things, they put it before God, and then you know what happened? Is they got to a place where they they got raised up to a, a certain level, no I know Nick. They got to a certain level and then they were challenged in their spirit and didn't want to obey. I've watched it happen and happen and happen. They didn't want to obey and all of a sudden, all that church wants is my money. You were going there before you had any money. And your obedience brought you into a place of blessing. And now that you're being challenged in your spirit again to see if you're still faithful at the level in which you're living, all that church wants is money. And then they leave. You know why you feel that way? It's because you got to a level that you can't handle and didn't curb your flesh. Didn't curb your flesh. And as a result, you know what's going on? As a result, now, you have now put your trust in riches and a love of money has entered your heart and you have a desire for your riches. It takes you out of the kingdom pierced yourself through with many sorrows love this present world and have deserted the faith that's what happens to people that's why it's god is not against you being blessed god is not against you walking in overflow prosperity increase whatsoever whatsoever what he's against is you loving things is you loving riches being covetous being greedy that's what god's against That is what God's against because you could never as an intelligent person make the case from scripture that God is against his children being abundantly blessed. You'd have to be a fool. You'd have to rip out 80% of your Bible, tear the pages out and throw them away. You'd have to be a fool to believe that God is against his followers being financially blessed because the Bible teaches the exact opposite Old and New Testament. He's against people putting their trust in riches, loving money, and being uh, discontent. Being discontent. Always going, to, I don't have enough. I don't Be content with what you have and know God's going to bless you with more as you're faithful. If you're faithful over a little, I didn't even have time. I won't get into this, but I could do a whole broadcast just on stewardship. One reason people don't get to the next level, they make a mistake. They have poor stewardship in their life. Very, very. For stewardship. And then God can't bless them to the next level. They've not been faithful over a little. How can he make them ruler over much? See what I mean? But God's going to bless you. Let me just, let me just talk to, to the faithful here that are watching live or on the replay or listening on the podcast. If you're the person I'm talking about, the faithful person to the kingdom of God, I'm asking the Lord, let this be a year for you of financial wonders in Jesus name, financial wonders. It's already begun. It has already begun. We're already getting testimonies from the Victory Tribe. It's gonna be a year of financial wonders for the faithful, hallelujah. You know what we're setting our faith for? Let this be a February of favor in Jesus' name. It already has been for us. I know it will be for you. A February of favor in the name of Jesus Christ. Though it might be the shortest month of the year, let it be the most blessed you've ever been, ever, in any history of any month you've ever been in the kingdom. In Jesus mighty name and God will do it for you and all we'll be able to say is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes that's it it's the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes thank you Jesus thank you Jesus let me pray for you father for those that are watching me I know you have a plan to bless them you have a plan to increase them to make them a blessing in their generation I pray Lord that you would protect us guard our hearts against putting our trust or our faith in anything other than you. I pray in Jesus' name that you would keep us, guard us from ever having a love of money. Keep us in a place of supernatural contentment. We're so thankful for all that you've done for us, Lord. We're so thankful for your blessings. We're so thankful for your mighty right hand that's lifting us up head and shoulders above this generation. When others are rejecting you, we are obeying you. We stand by your word. We will not compromise it. We will not manipulate it. We thank you for your inspired and inerrant word. And we thank you, Lord, that it is governing our lives and taking us into the blessing that you have prepared for us. We thank you for that. Strengthen us to do what you've called us to do. Let this be a month of favor upon our lives and families, and let this be a year of financial wonders for your people today. Now, Lord, I know you have a plan to bless every one of your people abundantly, but speak to them today. Give them an instruction from heaven about a seed that they should sow today that will bring them into the harvest that you have set aside and planned for them. We thank you for speaking. We thank you for your voice that leads us and guides us into all truth. We love you, Lord. We give you praise and glory today in Jesus' name. Amen.